Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. We hope Rocktober finds everyone safe, healthy, and heavy. Tonight's episode, we're giving the keys of the car to our YouTube correspondent, Southern Kale. He welcomes Robert Garvin of the cult band Sirith Ungle. The band's releasing their sixth album tomorrow called The Dark Parade. So Southern Kale and Robert, they're going to talk about you know, the history of the band, the CD, the killer artwork. They're going to talk about Jarvis Letherby coming into the band and what he brings to the outfit, as well as, you know, they're going to take a walk down heavy metal memory lane, talk about their favorite drummers, what inspired Robert. And also they get into Robert's obsession with high-end automobiles. It's a fun episode. Southern Kale does a great job on this one. But before we get into it, if you're new to the show, just want to remind you to get up to our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Join our community by signing up for our email list. This is our chance to stay in touch with you. I send you alerts on new YouTube videos, alerts for our live radio show on Monday nights, uh, CD reviews, concert reviews, anything we got going on. We are releasing stuff all the time. So again, it's our way to stay in touch with you. If you missed some recent shows, last week we had a review of the Power Trip concert. Before that, we had our running series, History of Metal, 1994. And then earlier in the fall, we had Rick Emmett of Triumph talking about his new autobiography. Tommy Victor of Prong with their new album, State of Emergency. Udo Dirkschneider was up here talking about their new album, Touchdown. So again, get up to MetalMayhemROC.com. All right, well, let's get into this. Southern Kale, Robert Garvin of Seareth Ungle. Thank you for the support. We appreciate it. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Good evening, Hell Rats. Welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC YouTube. I'm your host, Southern Kale. On tonight's show, oh, hailing from Ventura, California. Mr. Robert Garvin, drummer from Surath Ungle. These guys first released their first album in 1981 and are getting ready to release their sixth full-length album, The Dark Parade, on Metal Blade Records on October 21st. Uh, you guys have heard of Escape from L.A. and Escape from New York. I believe this is going to be Surath Ungle's version of Escape from Ventura. Please welcome to the show drummer percussionist Mr. Robert Garvin. Yeah! Robert, uh, before we get into this, um, there was a big gap between 1991's Paradise Lost and 2020's Forever Black. Give us a brief history of the band from starting out in, let's say, 1981. I know you had some lineup changes in there, too. Bring us up to speed on Surath Ungle. Well, perfect. Actually, we started around 1971, 10 years earlier than that. We were still in school, but our goal was to play heavy metal music, super heavy metal music. We were actually in another band called Titanic. 
with the guy Pat Galligan that was in a punk band later on called the Angry Samoans, which is kind of famous. And he wanted to play different types of music, but the three of us uh, founding members wanted to break away and play super heavy metal. And so we did that starting in around 1971. Uh, over that next 10 years, we wrote some songs and we tried to record some music and try to come up with our own style, uh, learn our instruments. You know, I told everyone I was a drummer and I never played drums. Uh, so, uh, and o over those years, we were trying to get some kind of record company support because we thought, hey, you know, we'd like to, we, we want to do this for a career. And we, you know, you'd send out cassette tapes to people and, the joke was, you know, the record companies, they'd get all these cassettes and they'd just, they wouldn't even listen to them. They'd erase them so they'd have empty cassettes to record their own music on. So we decided, hey, we're going to put out an album, which is going to be as good as any album that you could buy on the store shelves today, uh, artwork, uh, you know, recording, everything. And so we put out in 1981, our first album, Frosted Fire, completely self-produced. Uh, I got in contact with Michael Whalen, which I consider one of the best artists of our generation and uh he let us use one of his most famous paintings stormbringer on the cover we had yep. photography the album was pressed in los angeles at a, like a, a like a boutique pressing plant back in the day when there was giant um you know pressing facilities and it was pressed on german vinyl you know we just we did everything we could to make this album successful we put also on it all of our most uh, accessible music that you'd want to hear uh, on the radio, because back then, if you weren't on the radio, you weren't a band. And if you, your music couldn't be played on the radio, no record company would sign you. So we pushed all of our kind of heavier stuff off to one side, and we go, hey, this is our this is our radio airplay music. And after some of the local stations played it, and they said, oh my God, this is so strange or heavy or weird. Matter of fact, they said it's too heavy. And we go, well, you're playing Black Sabbath. How can it be too heavy? All right. And we think it was just too weird too strange for them right and so our next album in 1984 came out was king of the dead and we decided hey if that was all our music it was for the radio and it was too heavy why don't we play the other music that we're really playing it is heavy so king of the dead was pretty much uh our next album a lot of people think it's our best album and what's funny is some of that same material was from the same time adam smasher sarah thungle uh, same time, Finger Scorn, it was from the same time as Frost and Fire. And then in 1986, we released uh, album One Foot in Hell on Metal Blade Records, which we're still on today. 1991, we released our last album before we broke up Paradise Lost. And that went back to the same record company we were originally on, uh, which was kind of a mistake. Our first album, Frost and Fire, when we put it out, we were friends with Bride. Uh, we started, ended up starting Metal Blade Records, but he had his own, uh, worked at a record store and we took an album to him, tried to sell it in the store. And he said, hey, I have these friends that are import-export business. Why don't you contact them? So we contacted them. They licensed our album. They sold it around the world. They started producing it. And so they put out our first album and then they changed their name to Enigma and they put out King of the Dead. And then they changed their name to Restless and our last album was on Restless. But it was all kind of the same group of people uh, just reinventing themselves or changing the name of the record company. So I apologize for that confusion. Uh, and then, you know, the hair metal stuff was coming out, you know, all the thrash metal. And we, you know, we just felt like there wasn't that much stuff left for us to do. A couple of members quit the band. Me and Tim were sitting there, you know, our singer, and we're just going, what are we going to do? Um, and so we decided 
like the elder God Cthulhu. And in his story, like he's like an elder God who like lives here, like, you know, millions of years ago on the earth. And like when he became kind of like sad or something, he sunk beneath the waves, you know, only to reappear in H.P. Lovecraft's uh, story, Call of Cthulhu. So anyway, our band did the same thing. You know, we kind of like, we kind of went to sleep and, uh, you know, we didn't get back together to around 2016 and a local musician, Jarvis Leatherby, uh, put on a festival here in our town and asked us if we wanted to get back together and play. And we said, no. And he said, well, hey, do you want to do a signing session? And we said, sure. And we did the signing session and it was so uh, popular. And so many people said they liked the band. We thought, hey, let's get back together and play a, a few shows. And then that was like a small snowball rolling down a hill. Quickly mention again the artist that you've had. He did the artwork, I take it, on Forever Black. He's done all the albums, let's say. Has he not for you guys? Yeah, all except we had an album that came out around 2000, 2001, uh, Servants of Chaos. And it was kind of like uh, some of our old unreleased material Metal Blade Records put out. Amazing album because there's a lot of stuff on there that's kind of like... Uh, before we did Frosted Fire, that I think a lot of people enjoyed hearing. Uh, but that's the only album that he didn't paint the cover of. And he's been like the most amazing friend of the band over the years. And we consider him like on par with, you know, if, if there was a Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci in our time, he would be that guy. That was a huge part of um, the the artwork back in the, in the days. I, I tell you, besides Molly Hatchet cover albums, which were just always awesome, like the band or not. You had to like their album covers. My brother came running into my room, which was down in our basement, holding Frost and Fire in his hand. And he's like, you got to check this out. You know, it just come out. And I'm like looking at it, it was the, the greenness of it and the, the paleness of it and everything about it. I was drawn into that artwork and uh, we'd slap that stuff on. And, you know, we've been jamming Sirithongal ever since. And looking at the new artwork, you, you can definitely see the similarities. Just what great artwork. He's always imagined to uh, have captured the band and what they're trying to project on this album, which is just great. Great artist. Every one of those uh, album covers from, were from a series of Daw books that were released in the 1980s. And it was uh, Michael Moorcock's first uh, U.S. edition of all the Elric of Mel Nimbonate. Uh, You know, he's kind of like Conan, but he's an albino. He's a sword star bringer. And so... When we first put out that album, you know, I think our dream was, hey, you know, if we become successful and we were out a long time, our dream and maybe like a goal would be to be able to use all of those uh, paintings. And we've used every one of them. And an extra one, Forever Black, was actually another one of his paintings that wasn't part of that original series. So we are just so proud and honored to be associated with someone whose art talents, you know, exceeds ours beyond expectations. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You mentioned Jarvis Leatherby. Talk to us about your relationship with him over the last two albums that you guys have done together. Um, let's say, you know, the drums and the bass, they go hand in hand. One's the bottom end, one's the backbone. Uh, I mentioned, like, talk to us about your relationship with Michael Flint and uh, your difference because the sound is definitely different. Those galloping beats are um, been replaced by the doom and gloom. So what talks us about the difference between um, your, your drumming and playing with Jarvis and your drumming and playing with Mike? Yeah, you know, uh, like you said, being a drummer, playing with a bass player, it's the most important part of the rhythm track, I think. And it, it's amazing. You know, Jarvis, you know, he's in, he's been in several other bands. He's in a band like Demon right now, pretty amazing band. Uh, but playing with him is awesome. And uh, playing with Flint was the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those, you know, tell them they, they say people dance to a different drummer or something. You know, I'm a drummer that dances to a different drummer. You know, my style, it's kind of somewhat unconventional, probably to say the very least. And uh, you should probably be asking those two guys what it's like to play with me because I'm probably, you know, more of a handful than the other way around. But uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed both eras of the band. And, you know, that's to me, like I said, that's 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 part of that. The bottom end is the bass guitar and the drums interacting together. You know, and it's been pretty good. And I think, you know, if you listen to the last couple of records, Jarvis has done some really amazing stuff on the album. And, uh, you know, Flint too, you know, Flint, some killer stuff, uh, King of the Dead. I, I loved his bass playing. I love the fact he played the Rickenbacker, which was my favorite bass. Uh, it has that classic sound to it, of course. So yeah, you know, when we got back together, Jarvis only joined the band because we were trying to get Flint back in the band and, you know, he did, he lives in a different location than us. I mean, he lives in Las, Las Vegas and it was just really wouldn't work, uh, uh, logistically for us to play to get, you know. 
I was going to ask you about that. If you still were in contact with him, um, you know, and we're still on good terms with him and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm still on terms with most of the guys in the band. Matter of fact, Neil Beatty, our original singer, was. We I just came home from practice the other day, and he was standing on my front doorstep, and he lives out in Tennessee now. And uh, we went out to dinner and talked about old times, and he was like an amazing guy. Uh, Jarvis actually has a record company, Iron Grip Records. That's yep. the name of his uh, record company. And he released a tape that we put out called The Orange Tape that was before Frost and Fire. And it's available now. Some people may want to check it out. There you we go. And Yeah, we were kind of embarrassed when he came out because it's it's so primitive of our band. You know, it's way before even the stuff that was on the uh, Servants of Chaos album that was released by Metal Blade. But a lot of people have said, oh, you know, I wanted to hear that so bad and I'm so glad that he put it out. There's a song on there where Tim, our singer, and Neil are singing in a song together, We Know You're Out There. It's kind of like a dual vocals. I, I couldn't imagine um, hearing any kind of Surathongo without just the uh, total recognizable voice of uh, Timmy Baker. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, we had Neil sing with us for a couple of years, and he was an amazing guy. That was more of a time we were still playing really heavy music, but that's kind of when the the Stooges were really popular. And I think Neil saw himself as kind of like being like Iggy, you know. Right? <laughs> I want to be your dog. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Talk about Jimmy Barraza. He uh, replaced the late uh, Jerry Fogel. Um, how's everything going with that? Yeah, I know Jimmy's an amazing guitarist. Some of the leads on the album were just awesome. And one of Jimmy's uh, most talented things he does is come up with signature leads. You know, like the little parts of this, like melody parts of the songs, you know, and there's some, there's some great stuff on here. Relentless, one of the songs on there, there's kind of like an Egyptian, you know, a lot of the viewers or yes. listeners haven't heard the album yet. Well, let's get into it. Let's start right from the, uh, the single that's out now at streaming, Velocity, S-E-P. What's the SCP part of that? Well, you know, I'm going to be honest. Uh, Tim wrote those lyrics, and and he hasn't told us what it is. So, but what what he's kind of explained to us is, you know, like uh, 
is a Black Sabbath song with the NIB after it. And I don't even know what that is, to be honest. And I'm not sure whether anyone else does. Uh, but that's just something since he's not going to tell us. I'm, I just have to, it's something we got to live with. And that, that's kind of another funny song. Uh, uh, you know, the first song on our album was traditionally kind of like more upbeat thing on our last uh, album, Forever Black, was Legions Arise or Join the Legion on the Paradise Lost, stuff like that. Uh, Blood and Iron on One Foot in Hell, Adam Smasher, King of the Dead, Frosted Fire on Frosted Fire. Uh, so that's kind of like a trademark thing that we've done over the years. And that's an amazing song, but it is so complicated that when we were writing it, each one of us had our own like little uh, roadmap of it. And I would stick it onto my drum, you know, and the other guys would have it. And, and no one could understand each other. When, like the musician guys had all the notes down, you know, C, D, F sharp, whatever. I had down on ends on three beats, ends on four beats. And it's one of those songs that we're writing and we're thinking, oh my God, are we really writing a song that has landmines in it? So someday we'll be playing this live, but one of us might get lost on stage or not be able to hear his monitors and forget where we are. And we never find our way back to the original part. But I, I tell you, this, um, the opening lyrics, I'm going to read them real quick for our listeners. Stretch your soul upon the rack. Flaming whips across your back. Look around a tragic illusion. Look around the grim conclusion. Just where you are. I tell you, does does this song set the tone for the album or what? Well, you know, I don't know. If you if you keep reading on, I think it gets gloomier from there on out. You know, and it does. The whole album, like I said, the the sequencing of this album is great. It's it's like a huge story um, that just builds and builds and builds and and. But the doom gets more and more and more until I guess you talk about the, uh, I believe the last three songs, the Dark Parade, Distant Shadows, and Down Below. Is this, it's like one song, let's say, but three parts, or is it three different songs in itself? We know actually Looking Glass is on there too. And I think the four of those are kind of tied together. The last three albums that we've done, Paradise Lost, Forever Black, and this album, side two has been kind of reserved for like uh, the doom. Uh, vision of Tim, like the end of mankind, you know, mankind's, you know, inhumanity to man, you know, destruction of the world, uh, you know, end of the world doom type stuff. Whereas side one on all three of those albums has some songs with some different themes on there. And uh, a lot of people think it was as a sword and sorcery band. Some people think it was as a doom band. And we kind of have these two competing uh, uh, kind of uh, personalities. But I think as we've gone on, the Doom side is becoming, you know, more, it's kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, and like Mr. Hyde keeps starting, taking over more uh, of the dark side. And so I think that's kind of how this album is. Actually, the last two songs are actually tied together physically because on the record, it'll flow from right. Distant Shadows straight into Down Below, some acoustic guitar and stuff in there. There's not even, uh, now I think, on the CD and also like streaming, you know, you're going to have like a place where the two songs are separated, but those two songs are actually tied together physically. One song flows into the next. All right. Uh, just for our, our, our younger listeners, when uh, Robert refers to side two, that would be the flip side of an album. Uh, just to get everybody up to speed. Um, I'm hoping we're a lot of old school listeners out here. Um we're talking about the different sounds. If you listen to Frost and Fire, let's say the first song on the first album that came out, it had that those galloping beats, which I just, that's what really kind of hooked me into your band. 
Uh, but they've all been replaced now, especially on like the song Relentless with these uh, darker, thrashier, grinding songs. Is that due to the fact with the new guitarist? Yeah, I think we're actually that Relentless. That's our uh, that's our radio airplay song. That was our top 40 hit for the uh, uh, for the album. And I, I'm joking, but I, actually I'm not. I mean, that's a song that we thought, you know, it's got some choruses, you know, people can sing along to. Uh, that was kind of our song that's going to be, you know, it's funny, you know, watching TV, whether it's the news or shows, every night, 50 people say relentless. You know, the fire's relentless, the flooding's relentless, you know, the political stuff going on, it's relentless. And it's like, every time I hear it, you know, we crack up uh, because that's, you know, the song on the new album. But yeah, you know, my, the last two albums, some of my drumming has been more plotting and I think more of the drummers would be doing more upbeat stuff, you know, but one of the key things for a real for a good drummer is to play to the song, not to play to your own ego or what you think you're going to be doing. And so I tried some different beats on a couple of these songs, uh, more upbeat or faster or, or more uh, what some people might think of as interesting, but it seemed like it didn't fit to the music. And so what I kind of fell back on is the parts it felt like to me that felt like it 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 fit the music. And you know that once again, that's my I have like an unconventional drumming style. And uh, that's that's how I operate, and that that's how it ended up, you know, for better or for worse. I, I know some drummers, um, Witchfinder General would be one, the drummer from the band. They would have the longer, you know, the size of the toms, the 8, 10, 12s were all the same, but the shells on them were a lot longer. It would give that kind of more doomy sound to the drums, a deeper sound. Did you do anything like that um, with your drums on this album? No, but over the years, I've had like several... Uh, I had several Ludwig drum sets that I got, you know, were sent to me by the factory. And I had a Pearl set that was actually a, a Burt set that was uh, gifted to me by Pearl. Uh, all different sounding. Uh, I'm using the DW Oak set right now. And it's, you know, the way they lay the, the wood together kind of gives you a deeper sound than that. But, you know, I, I yearn for that. My problem is, you know, I have friends that, uh, you know, I have a buddy, he lives in the mid middle of the country and he has a barn and he has 15 drum sets in a barn upstairs where he has his own. And out here in California, if the band ever breaks up, I'll have to sell my drum set because my drum set won't fit in any room in my house, which is kind of uh, ironic. So, you know, every time, you know, I've got a new set, I had to get rid of my old set, but yeah, no, I, I love those. And I, I had, I had some toms that were like, uh, they call them concert toms. They didn't have bottoms on them. Then I had other toms. I had, I had toms on my rack toms, which were as big as my floor toms now. So, yeah, I, I've been through all that, and I and I enjoyed it. But I'm kind of where I'm at right now. Is you know I have this set, and this is what I'm planned, and it sounds really good. Well, you mentioned DW. That's Drumworks. They are out. Are they not in Los Angeles? Yeah, they're the actually uh, they're ten minutes from my house. They're in a city called Oxnard, and I'm in Ventura, so they're really close. Yeah, yeah I have some really good friends over there. Uh, uh, you know, and they make some pretty amazing drums. Yeah, a lot of good things uh, coming out of that factory for sure. Uh, you mentioned like the open concert toms and how, uh, you know, maybe those weren't such the best thing to play now. It's a lot different now. And uh, that sound has definitely evolved with drum work. So, but you know, I also, too, I'm a cymbal guy. Uh, my Chinese, uh, you know, the Chinese, uh, they have like the year you're born in. You know, 
I'm a metal monkey, and I don't know what that means. But anyway, uh, I love my cymbals. I have a gong. I have like a boxing bell that I've had going back to the to to the seventies, and I just uh, I'm actually a, P- a Piesty cymbal artist. And I just love the Piesty cymbals. They just you know they just sound so amazing, and uh, I have a Piesty gong, and like it's there's two or three times on an album I got to hit the gong, and you know those are. Those are things I actually kind of hold out for. Like I have to fight with the band. Like how many gong hits do I get on this album? And also too, the last couple of projects I've used a cowbell on. Most, I was going to say, most, we need yeah, more cowbell. Yeah, most, most members of the band, if it was up to them, there'd probably be no cowbell. But it, it, every album I fight for those little bit of cowbell things. And I, I really like it. it. To me, it's it kind of adds some uh, kick to it. All right, right. You guys are getting ready to release on October 21st, the new album, The Dark Parade, on Metal Blade Records. And you're also going to be doing a show that night, I believe, at the Rainbow in Los Angeles. Well, actually, it's on the 20th. And the Rainbow Room is right next to a place called the Roxy. And that's where we're playing at the Roxy. And we actually played there years ago. And this is going to be the album release party. And we're all excited about that. Has it been like 25 years since you played in LA? Yeah, I think it's been maybe 30 35 years, maybe. <laughs> well, I don't want to upset any JR Token fans out there. Um, where there's a, an, an issue that needed to be addressed, and I wasn't aware of this fact because I've read all the Lord of the Rings books many times. Um, we've always pronounced Surathungal, the band. Apparently, um, according to JR Token, the correct pronunciation, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, it's Kirith Ungal, which I. Uh, I was like, I never knew that. So we've definitely Americanized that, let's say, to Surathongle. And I'll tell you a little story about that. When we first got together, me and Greg were in a advanced English class. We were kind of smarter than some of the other kids who couldn't read, you know. And uh, they assigned us to read The Lord of the Rings, and we read it several times. But at the end of The Lord of the Rings, there's like nine appendixes, you know, and, and we read the book over and over again, but we never really dug into the appendixes where they tell you how to pronounce the word. So we always pronounce it Sirathungal. Funny story, we were playing a big festival in Germany, Rock Hard. One of the ladies for the magazine there too, she asked me and Tim, we were doing an interview. She goes, is it true you speak Elvish? And I said, no, because we don't even pronounce the name of our band correctly. So that's... See, it pays, it pays to read those appendixes that I've never read them before either. So I was uh, definitely enlightened onto that one. Well, speaking of festivals, a couple years ago, um, we had the chance to talk to Jarvis, and a, a, a fact that I just it blew me away. I, I didn't couldn't understand it. He said that Shirathungal has never done like a let's say a proper tour, like a North American tour. Let's say that you guys never have done a full tour. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit as to why not? Yeah, well, you know, California. I think it's expensive in Florida too, uh, especially after the band broke up. A lot of us. Uh, went on to different careers and on houses and cars. And some people had families and, you know, it's like, there's no secret, you know, the band that we play in, you know, we're kind of like a cult underground band. You know, we're not, we're not making enough money to pay a mortgage for a house here in California. And so a lot of the guys in the band, we had uh, working full-time jobs. So it's hard to leave a full-time job to go on a, a traditional tour where you leave town for 60 days and so that, and that's still kind of going on in the band right now. Some of the members still have to work full time. So what we're trying to do is play as many shows we can a year. Most of them are fly in and fly out. You know, we we've flown all the way to Europe 
just to play, be there one day, play a show and fly back the next day. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're doing. And, and the fans sort of have to understand, you know, if we were like a super group or making millions of dollars, we'd probably be doing stuff like the Rolling Stones. But at our age, to be able to do this kind of extended tour, uh, when you're older and there's not that much money in it, it's near impossibility for us. Let alone, you see, you see how many bands are canceling tours now just because of the, the logistics and the costs of it. They're just getting out of hand right now. And it, it, it sucks because we want to see these bands get out on the road and maybe do 30 days somewhere in the U.S. or, or something like that. So like you said, you've been playing festivals. Um, tell us the difference between, let's say, uh, some festivals you've done out in California, the crowds there, and uh, how it is over in Europe, uh, the crowds different from each other. Well, you know what? That's kind of the irony because some of the places we played, like Jarvis's Festival here in California, or we just played in New York City. So the people are flying from all over the world to see us play wherever we play. And my joke was we should play every show in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because that way it's in the middle of the country. It'd be easier drive. Uh, when you played in New York City, people drove from Miami and other people drove from Phoenix, Arizona to see us. And we'll play in Europe. And people come from the United States, we'll pay in the United States and people come from Europe. So, you know, our fan base is kind of spread out pretty wide. And since we don't play that many shows, uh, I think people people will actually go out of their way to come see us, which is amazing. And I, I want to say something. If we would have the opportunity, that was always our dream. It's not that we never wanted to tour like that or we still want to tour like that. It's just we're not able to. So I wanted to get that clear. We're not doing that because we don't want to. We're doing it because we were either physically able to then or not. I would say 90% of the bands that I talk to, they all had or have other jobs, um, not just being the musician. Um, you know, like Dave uh, Dave Joss from Destructor, you know, the guy uh, works for a high-end meat company, but his company affords him the time when he gets those festivals, like they were heading down to Mexico to play something down there and... Uh, you know, the guy can take the time off to do that. So you can definitely see the, the the festivals instead of doing the tour being the more economical thing now to do. We just get like getting out and playing. That's that's what's fun for us. Well, all right. I got three quick questions. This is my rapid fire segment of the show that I like to do. Um, when you're out just cruising around, what's on your playlist? Are you listening to any new bands? We get to crack up because I normally listen to every different thing that I can. But since we're playing so many shows... And, you know, we're playing a new album and stuff. I never, when the band broke up, I never listened to our band for like 30 years. You know, people would say, oh, your band's great. I want to listen to it. You know, I don't listen. I didn't listen to it. And now I'm playing mostly our stuff just because I'm an older guy. Sometimes I'll set down my glasses and I'll forget where I set them, you know, my glasses. Uh, I don't want to be in the middle of a song and forget the part. So I'm listening to a lot of our stuff. And I know that's probably not what anyone wants to hear, but, uh, I'm not doing it because uh, I'm so infatuated with our band. I'm just doing it so I'll make sure that uh, I'll get all the parts right on stage. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie to you. When I'm out working in the garage or something, I have like uh, a flash drive plugged into my uh, stereo up there. <clears throat> and every every band that you could ever imagine is on there. And it just rolls through there and plays. So, you know, I want you to know I wasn't being egotistical about that. I'm just being honest since we've got some shows coming up that are kind of important. Way I'm constantly listening to all, especially all the old classics, you know. Uh, let's say when you're listening to the older stuff, uh, Frost and Fire or One Foot in Hell, 
Um, do you hear a song and do you hear it now and go like, oh, I wish I would have maybe done this and that part? Or are you happy with what you're hearing, let's say? Yeah, no, you're always going to second guest up. Matter of fact, this new album, if we could go back and re-record it, we'd probably all go do it. Not because we don't like it, just because, you know, we're hearing stuff that we wish we might have done differently. But that's that that's human nature, right? You know, I mean, we always want to go back and do a redo. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty satisfied with the older stuff, and I'm actually at peace with all the newer stuff that we've done. I think it's pretty awesome for a band that broke up, no one ever gave credit to, and uh we're kind of unrecognizing the whole music world and be able to pop back and knock out a couple of albums as strong as Forever Black and Dark Parade. I'm I'm very proud of what we've done. Two great albums. Um, you know, talking about jobs, what what would be another occupation if you weren't a drummer? Anything that you've ever thought about you wanted to be or Yeah, I uh I'm a car guy, I love cars. I would have loved to have been a Ferrari mechanic. That's what I would have loved to have been. And I have a few friends that are Ferrari mechanics, and they said, you, you wouldn't want to be a Ferrari mechanic because then you wouldn't like Ferraris because you'd be working on them all day long. You know, so, but that's something I would have liked to have done. I would have liked to have been an artist. I did some layouts for the last couple of records, but uh, my fine art skills, you know, are nothing. You know, I'm good at graphic design and layout, but I was never that good at uh, fine art. Did you get a chance to see the movie Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah, I did. I did. There's actually a new movie coming out about Enzo Ferrari. Uh, I forget I, the guy's name. He's the guy he played. Uh, he was the bad guy in the, the last Star Wars movie. Adam Driver. Okay. He's Enzo Ferrari in a new movie coming out. So I haven't seen it yet, but great, great movie. If you if yeah. you like the like that, I love uh, the sound of the. The reason I love the Ferraris, I love the sound. Just like I love the heavy metal, I love the sound of a screaming Ferrari car. There you go. Awesome. Um, who was the biggest influence influence on you musically? You talking about musician or band? Either or. Who made you want to pick the drumsticks up and uh, be a drummer in a band? I think uh, the band Mountain. Because I remember I was at school one day with Greg in front of that same class. And he brought Mountain Climbing to school. And it just came out. And he goes, Rob, you got to hear these guys. They're amazing. And... Uh, I just, I just loved it. I love the drums. I love the guitars. I love the, 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 the keyboard, the organ part. Matter of fact, on a song on this new album, uh, Sailor on the Seas of Fate, there's some uh, keyboard sound in the back, and it's actually Greg playing with a, 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 an effects pedal that makes it sound like an organ B3, which is amazing. So, but I mean, that's kind of where my roots come from. Then after that was Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, you know, and maybe before that was Jimi Hendrix and Blue Cheer and Cream. So, I mean, I, I grew up on all that, but. Uh, yeah, I would say Mountain was was the first thing for me that just goes, hey, this is what I want to do. This is the type of music I want to play. How about uh, just uh, being a an artist? What artist would you say? Let's uh, go drummer artist. Do you like? Let's say mm-hmm. Bill Ward's always been a favorite of mine. You know, and I, I saw Black Sabbath a couple of times. Uh, California Jam. Saw him live at the uh, Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. Uh, band Captain Beyond opened for, which was amazing. Another band out of history that a lot of people, if you're into like old heavy metal, that's one of the biggest bands that ever kind of came out of that era. And so, yeah, no, Bill Ward was always like, he was kind of, I consider myself more of a caveman drummer. You know, I don't have a lot of technical skills. It's more like a, a performance art for me. And that's that's why I always loved him because he was just over the top crazy. Uh, yeah, again, it's like the, it, nothing... Um 
you know, there was no over usage with Bill Ward. He wasn't just hitting symbols just to hit symbols. Everything he does and did, there was a reason and a purpose to it. And I, I find your drumming to be the same way. Well, that's a compliment. Thank you. I don't give many drumming compliments. <laughs> any plans for any other shows besides the one coming up at the Roxy? Yeah, no, we're booked for a bunch of shows next year. A lot of them haven't been totally announced yet. And so I can't, I, I don't want to go online here, jump the gun, but one of the and ones that is announced, know. we're headlining again uh, uh, up the Hammers Festival in Athens, Greece. Oh, we yep. played there when the band first got back together and the Greek fans are just over the top amazing. And we had, actually had a live album, uh, I'm Alive, and it was recorded the last time we played at that festival in, in uh, Greece. And so we're going back and go back and play again for the Greek bands. I have a cook that works for me. He is uh, pure Greeks. Uh, and I showed him that and he was like, oh, John, I know that band in his Greek accent. I wish I was there. I may go back. I said, you can't leave me. Don't leave me. So it's, it's a uh, cradle of civilization. <laughs> yes, very much so. Greg, we're looking forward to this release, October 21st, The Dark Parade, Metal Blade Records. Tell our listeners um, if they want to find out more about Surathungal, how can they do it? Well, uh, of course, the band has a Facebook, Instagram page, and a Twitter account. Uh, all easy to find. If you're interested in what's going on with the band and you want the latest update, probably the best thing would be go to the Facebook page because anything that's going to be on there will be uh, updated. And that's probably the most closest that you can get to the most accurate information. But I'd like to tell all of your uh, all of your fans watching or listening, uh, Sir Thungal, we're a churning maelstrom of metal chaos descending. Well, Robert, thank you for joining us tonight. It was my pleasure interviewing you finally after all this time um, since 1981 when my brother came ripping into my room with that frost and fire. I have been a loyal fan to the band Surathongo. Uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for taking your time out to talk about Surathongo. Yes, or <laughs> Surathongo. We yes, should. There you go. Well, for Metal Mayhem ROC YouTube, I'm Southern Cal. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points.
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.